0: Hello, welcome to the Gregarious Mammal Podcast. We have been on holiday, two weeks holiday after three years, and we did nothing to do with tech apart from playing a few computer games and browsing maps. It was fun. You have a few episodes for interviews and things popped up in the feed, but not much else. But we're back with a Lynx show just to get up to speed, and then we'll have some more episodes for you coming soon. This is Chris, and over in front of me is...
1: This is Kate. Hello, everybody.
0: Hello. Okay, let's get straight into it. There's been a lot of big tech stories the uh, past few weeks. We're going to skirt around the edges of some of them, acknowledging their presence like the elephant in the room they are, but we're not going to talk specifically about them. I think mostly because they've been talked about a lot already, but we're going to skirt around the edges of them and refer to some of them without explicitly kind of acknowledging their presence in a strange kind of way, like ignoring them at a party. Yes?
1: Yeah, at, at a party. That's kind of a nice way to look at it. Okay.
0: <laughs> Let's get stuck right in. So we're going to revisit a story that we talked about in the past, but we now are looking at it from a different perspective. Kate, do you want to kick off with our first link?
1: Yeah. Um, this is regarding Marcus Hutchins. You may know the story of Marcus Hutchins, a hardworking um, cybersecurity researcher who... Uh, a few months ago discovered a way to stop and circumvent the WannaCry cybersecurity tax. So, you know, what happened was he was a bit of a hero. He was actually doing it anonymously for his good work. And then, of course, the media found out who he was and went to his home. And hence, you know, he got outed for his good deeds. He got some money in in compensation, which he gave to charity, very noble there. Um, But what's actually happened since then is um, he basically was at DEFCON, in the U.S. a couple of weeks ago and was basically um, charged with a couple of crimes regarding earlier um, his earlier role that he was allegedly part of the distribution of the banking malware Kronos in 2014. Now, whether he was... Let's pull that apart a little bit. We're talking about the distribution of banking malware there's no evidence so far that he actually distributed any of it, but that he knew about it, yes, and that he was researching it and had contact with the actual um, cyber criminals, if we can use that term. Yes. and But the, the issue, where it kind of gets interesting is... Um, one of the, the the kind of the legislation they're using to charge him is the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, um, in the U.S. And bear in mind he's a he's a um, UK citizen in the U.S. He's been in um, he's been incarcerated. He got pulled up by the FBI while he was at DEFCON, like many you know many good hackers doing good white hat good for the, the world, you know, keeping our connected cars safe to our, um, I don't know, our sex toys or whatever, our connected televisions, whatever kind of area you want to go. And then he gets pulled up and thrown into jail. Um, into into prison. I mean, I guess jail is the next step, isn't it? Or is it the other way around in America? Can't quite remember. are they
0: the same thing? I don't know. Jail and prison are a bit
1: (laughs) different. I always get them slightly confused because the American system is very different to the Australian system. Um, So basically, he's out on bail um, as of a couple of days ago, but he has to stay in the US. Um, You know, as we said, he's not a citizen there. He's also not um, a resident, so it's not the nicest situation. But the bigger issue that comes into this is the whole issue of Protecting Researchers and White Hackers. White Hat Hackers, shall we call them that. Um, It's been pulled up by a number of people like Krebs, Brian Krebs from Krebs on Security, and um, I know the Electronic Frontiers Foundation have also done work on this, that this particular piece of legislation, the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, has been used to bully and to charge um, researchers in the past. Some of this has been... um, where they've been charged, the charges have been dropped. Some of it has been a period of ongoing harassment. Um, one example, I'll just get it up here. Where's the guy's name? Um, Justin Schaefer. You may have heard of this name, a well-known guy that was actually looking at um, insecurities in dental software. <laughs> Sorry, where people, patients' data was being released into the um, to the wilds. Oh. He's um, he's been raided on three distinct occasions um, and charged with um, under this legislation. But despite the fact that what he was actually doing was, of course, research. He followed the right procedures. He reported these um, vulnerable, security vulnerabilities to the companies concerned. And then um, the companies used it as a means to get him charged, which sort of says something there. Um, and more recently, it gets really weird. I mean, I, I actually have written an article on this for DZORN, So as soon as it comes out, we'll put the link up. What's happened since, um, and um, he's been... He was initially uh, raided in 2016. Since then, he's been raided another two times, January and March this year.
0: This is the Schaefer, correct? Okay.
1: And more recently, he's actually now um, he was charged by with cyber stalking for comments he allegedly made on on Twitter about the um, FBI agents involved in
0: stalking FBI in, agents
1: in harassing him in the first place. It's a bit, so yeah, so it's, <laughs> all, it's all very strange. And basically, the um, conditions of his um, his release. Of um, after the chart those cha- charges was that he not used social media. He wrote a blog about it, of course, and ended up back in custody. Is that
0: social media?
1: That's know. his <laughs> argument. Is it social media? Is it free speech? So this is
0: okay. This is actually interesting. Um, I, I, I mean, you've talked a little bit in detail about this particular story. I guess it's continuing. Mm, it is, but yep. it's it's not a, an uncommon occurrence. And strangely, I lied slightly on holiday. I actually was talking with my dad about this subject rather <laughs> strangely. Um, My dad, he's actually, he sort of did maths and physics when he was younger and he was actually involved in the very early computing industry. A lot of it has passed him by now. Um, But just this attitude of there are companies who, um, if you challenge their superiority, they will say, how dare you challenge our superiority? We're going to charge you. And it's other companies who say, well done. You just identified something we didn't do well. Show us how you did it or come and join us, et cetera. And it's very specific with these sorts of cases where there are some companies when usually and usually these people who are public are what so-called white ha- hackers, the people yeah. who want to say, Correct. hey hey, excuse me, uh, I've noticed a problem here. Mm-hmm. And a company says, wow, we didn't know about that. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm. And there's companies who say, how dare you? We will shoot you down. And yeah. in this case, yeah. And, and he actually, I mean, one thing you haven't mentioned, which uh, I don't know if it was particularly clear even during the WannaCry outbreak, is he actually works for a cybersecurity company. That's right. So that's actually their business is to, this is the weird thing. Like yeah. as his day job, it's his job to do this, but he did something, um, well, obviously... In this particular case, he's being charged for distributing malware. It's not the same thing as white hacking, but um, it's interesting. I mean, I think it's a very gray area. If, if this is your sort of your your thing, um, it's testing. It's it's very tempting, very easy to sort of uh, also uh, potentially exploit some vulnerabilities you know about because that's your job you know about. them. Like, I don't know. I mean, it wouldn't be too hard to do it.
1: Yeah, look, it's a fair comment. I mean... We don't know how many, you know, black hat cyber hackers, if we can use those terms, uh, you know, security experts who did it as a job and moved over to the dark side to make more money. But let's face it, these days you don't need to. I mean, you can buy a piece of um, a virus on the... um, or a piece of ransomware on the darknet for less than a hundred dollars, you can install it. It will tell you pretty much what to do. It's almost um, <laughs> ransomware as a service in that it's all set up for you, and it, it even suggests um, people you can send it to, and get and get some hopefully get some money back. I mean, not that I'm endorsing that by any means. And
0: actually, on a on a sort of slightly related note, I would highly recommend you listen to uh, on the Reply All podcast. They had a two part. Episodes kind of around one um, of these uh, like Indian call centers who who contacts you to say that you've been infected and etc etc and the general intention is you buy some software and that's often how some of these malware things work as well. Well, this yes. is this isn't malware. This is social yeah. engineering. Yeah. Although as part of the process, they then put malware on your machine that you then have to buy a software to remove. You know and it's actually a really fascinating insight into this, they go, the hosts actually go to India to try and track down oh, wow. the people it's, unfortunately it ends up being somewhat inconclusive much to the frustration of the hosts as well but it was really fascinating just to get an insight into the people behind this and they don't They're so surprised when these two Americans turn up, China. They don't understand why they're there. It was quite interesting.
1: Yeah, and look, it's worth also sort of saying that this is an area where, of course, there are grey areas, but it's also about wanting citizens to have due process, to be treated fairly by the judicial system, um, to be not unduly harassed without um, ever getting charged with things. And these are the things that seem to be happening. And a particular case that it comes back to is... um, that of Aaron Schwartz, that you might remember, mm. in 2013, committed suicide because he was arrested at MIT um, on after he. Um, this is my understanding. He connected a computer to the MIT network in a closet. Um, the aim being to download academic journal articles with the you know under, as part of a movement that they should mm. be free and accessible to everyone, and they used this Computer Fraud Abuse Act. Um, amongst a couple of other ones as well, to, um, you know, charge him. And after that, he actually committed suicide. He was... Um, so, you know, it shows that even just having these things as a a risk or a, a risk of your, you know, your personal safety and security as an individual yeah. really do have consequences and on people's lives.
0: One final thing on this. So it was actually another... Uh, I know now... He's somewhat sullied his reputation. But there's an interesting book written by Julian Assange and a professor from, I think, uh, Sydney University, because Julian Assange is actually Australian, despite the fact the Australian government never even acknowledges that. Back- yeah, funny that. <laughs> um, about the early days of the hacking culture in Melbourne in the 90s. Yeah. It's actually a fascinating book. I can't remember what it's called, but if you look up Julian Assange books...
1: We can find a link. You'll find it. it. It's, a free, yeah.
0: it's freely available. Yeah, so it's open source. Legally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And uh, one aspect of that, I mean, there's a a whole bunch of things in this book, but one particular aspect of that is in this particular era and up until recently, so Melbourne had a very big hacking culture, Mm. and I think still does, I'm not sure. But often there was this, even then, there was this uh, uh, attitude that... If you were going to get caught, you should hand yourself over to the Australian police before the Americans got involved because the Australian (laughs) police would just give you a slap on the wrist and let you out in six months. Whereas with the American police, they would probably throw away the key. So this was always the interesting aspect that, and I would say the UK is probably becoming as bad. I'm not sure about Australia now, but this whole thing of if you're going to get caught, you're probably better off getting caught in your own country as opposed to the US because they'll probably be nicer to you. Uh, anyway, it was an interesting thing to look into too. Yeah. And, just, and he is British, not American. Yeah, so. that's
1: true. And just in, I guess, in conclusion, I'd encourage people, if you are interested in these issues and pulling it apart a bit more and exploring it, I'll um, put the article on the um, our website for the mm. podcast. I'll also put some links. I'd really encourage people to check out the Electronic Frontiers Foundation yeah. and the, work, the really good work they do in this area. They even bring their own lawyers to yeah. um, to DEFCON for anyone that's being harassed or being told by companies they can't give their um, their demo of how to hack products. And
0: we'll supply (laughs) all links to get in touch with us if you have something to say.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Let's move on to the next subject. This is one that's kind of dearer to me, Mm -hmm. but um, crosses over into other boundaries. Stack Overflow, the uh, infamous Stack Overflow, the infamous um, as now there are mock books released by O'Reilly on learn to copy and paste from Stack Overflow, implying that's how most people learn to code these days, which is possibly quite true. Um, And Stack Overflow is often when you're looking for the solution to a coding problem is where you end up uh, for good or evil. Um, and there's been many articles, and actually I even saw uh, an interview in the very building we're currently in now with one of the founders of Stack Overflow. And uh, despite its uh, wide usage, is still financially, you know, it's doesn't make as much money as you may think just because it's popular it's like wikipedia just because it's popular doesn't mean they make a lot of money because that's Mm. not always being their business model but anyway they started uh not that long ago uh attempting a documentation section of Mm. the sort of stack overflow family because they obviously have a lot of different sort of related uh products in in quote marks and already they've decided to sunset it um, Sunset it. What does that mean? Uh, close it down, basically. Right. Um, because it, well, the two reasons. One is that uh, they decided they don't really have the resources. See previous comment to maintain it properly. But the other one, and this is what sort of sparked the most conversation in the communities I move in, is that documentation is hard. Mm. And if they'd spoken to any of us, we could have told them that because that's what we do for a day job. Their intention being to sort of centralise project documentation for people looking for answers to things in one place. And yeah, documentation is hard. Uh, Encouraging engineers to do it is hard. Doing it well is hard. Centralising it in one place is hard. Managing it is hard. Um, And there's been, I would encourage you to um, look, um, actually I'll add them in the show notes because I don't think there's a really particularly easy way of finding it, but there's been a lot of sort of uh, related uh, blog posts from the community coming out around this and ideas around how it could have been done better mm. what people have learned from it um, and also the the I think it's Joel I think is the guy who posted the post and who's the guy I saw who no John, no it's a different person anyway um, about what they learned from it and yeah I guess anyone who is interested in Documentation. I, I was never entirely clear on what they were attempting to accomplish with this and what a metric of success would have even been. So it's interesting to see that they gave up so quickly, um, but what people have learned from it. And then, yeah, the community's responses to those learnings has been quite interesting, actually. Mm. So.
1: Just a general question from me. I mean, did they have, like, a dedicated... Pool of staff or a team i 'm not it?
0: that 's unclear, yeah. but they they did certainly say that they felt that the maybe the staff who were involved in it in whatever capacity relating to the success and the complexity and the difficulty mm. of the the project that they are probably better on other things
1: that like, was there a community behind them like you so stack would
0: overflow yes stack else? overflow is is all community really it is.
1: okay so it's an it open source community kind of no
0: it's not open it's source not. Okay. it's you probably have used stack overflow oh, there, sure. it,
1: not it. um,
0: <laughs> it's one of these places you end up for coding questions sure. and it works very well, well People argue about how well it I works. think that's
1: why I thought it was in this source. sort of question-answer
0: space. But in terms of being a repository of knowledge in a more traditional sense, maybe that wasn't a good idea for them. And it, it sort of made sense conceptually, but um, whether it made sense for them is the kind of bigger question. But I encourage you to read their blog post, and then I'll put a few links to blog posts that came out of it from our community the technical writer community that's quite interesting and um one of the more popular responses has been from a quite a well-known guy in the community called tom johnson who i do the write the docs podcast with amongst other people and i was actually talking to him on an aborted attempt to record our podcast because people got delayed in traffic mm. about my idea for having um using uh, bots and chatbots to interact with documentation mm. because it enables people to interact with it in a much more question answer way as opposed to knowing what they're looking for and he put this into his blog post briefly and I hope to have a prototype right. of this very soon for the Write the Box conference in September at least just a conceptual prototype about how that could work
1: I think we'll have to interview you on that
0: Well it's very conceptual at the moment <laughs> but anyway I encourage you to read around that and um, yeah have a look at some more
1: For sure, sounds okay. super interesting
0: Okay um, There's an interesting kind of uh, work related articles there and now we're going to move on to a couple of others that are more sort of skirting around the edges of technological culture Mm -hmm. and here is this fascinating article and somewhat somewhat damning article on uh, the Atlantic That's quite a long read but I think it's worthwhile to read definitely called uh, Have Smartphones Destroyed a Generation um and I mean, I find this interesting. So, it, it, there's some definitely some negative numbers here. Things like uh, that, you know. Um, millen- well, it's interesting as well. Actually, this came up in a discussion amongst some friends. What is a millennial? What is a Gen Xer, etc. Yeah. And I always thought I was a Gen Xer, but apparently, being born in 1981, I am counted as a millennial, which is news to me. But anyway, but now there's now post millennial. So God knows what that means. But whatever. Let's talk about. Let's say people who are. Approaching adulthood or just entered adulthood. Maybe that's the best, the best, the best term to use that kind of age bracket, like sixteen to early twenties. Um,
1: I believe to to just clarify, it's people born between nineteen ninety five and two thousand twelve. I guess that's a, so. It's kind of the cohort, the author of this yeah, article. That's actually six talking about <laughs> correct. Yeah. Um, and so, just to give you some context, if you haven't read read the well, article, let me just
0: finish uh, what I was saying because I was oh. about to just wrap up that sentence Sorry. um, was that um, there's some very negative numbers here about depression and suicide rates and things like that which we'll dig into but then uh, there's some interesting potentially positive aspects people saying oh teenagers don't go out drinking anymore do drugs less have sex less and it's kind of like well that's what teenagers were always supposed to do but because they're doing it less is that necessarily a bad thing? But I think it's the aspect that they're doing them less because they're interacting with people less is possibly the negative connotation. But this is, of course, always previous generations will always judge the next generation by their standards. So that's a thing to bear in mind. Let's dig into this. What do you think, Kate?
1: Yeah, look, it's a super interesting article. Um, Just to give you a quick, really quick overview, it's basically a researcher who's been researching... um, Differences in culture and um, different life experiences um, in people through different age groups, and has discovered that the, the post millennial, post millennial, is that the right term? Apparently. <laughs> Sorry, we may get a bit clumsy with some of this terminology. The post millennial people, so people born nineteen ninety five above, have had some significant shifts, and a lot of them really hark back to the kind of the idea that. Um, I was a little bit critical of some of the article. It basically bases it. The, the, the statistics the woman's collected basically say that um, people in this age group um, have sex less, drink less, go out less, unless it's with their parents, work less, so they're not doing after school jobs. Um, right, it's not necessarily drive, their choice. Drive, drive less, like so they don't yeah. learn to drive as, as, as statistically often, mm-hmm. but. I mean, I would actually, and she sort of attributes a lot of this to, you know, this miasma of depression and um, feelings of social isolation and feeling excluded to this whole thing about, oh, it's because they're spending all this time on their phones, on social media or Snapchat or whatever you want to call it. And I'd actually like to pull it apart a bit. I'm a little bit critical of some of this because firstly, I'd contend that firstly, if we let's, let's look at some of those ideas, people are having sex less. Um, they're probably a generation that was brought up with the abstinence model in schools. When you think of parts of America. This
0: is an American article, think. Correct. Some um, of the things you know, that were labelled as a traditional teenager would it's, not be
1: able It's illegal a to teach about birth control. Yeah. So you've got this juxtaposition between you know abstinence being taught at schools, if they're taught eating, let's mm. be honest. And then you've got the porn kind of industry, which is in our face every day. So, you know, it would be fair to imagine that your social engagements with people of the opposite sex or the same sex or however you want to define yourself would be a little different. Secondly, you've got the idea, oh, they're not working as much. Well, I'd probably put that down to um, access jobs. to jobs. Oh, yeah. I mean, let's, let's let's break it down. You've got a large swank of people in America who are working minimum wage jobs. Probably some of those are insecure jobs like casual and um, sessional, whatever kinds of contracts or dubious contracts people are on. So they're not actually having those jobs available for young people after school if they're being taken over by... Um, by older people. Sorry, that's my computer wearing since I plugged it in. I don't... Not it's tired it's this down. wearing. Okay. Yeah, sorry, just... We've got... A, a, we're charging our computers in this little um, multi faceted PowerPoint advice that started whirring really loudly so apologies if you can hear that I, um, I actually closed my computer to try and fix it but it didn't fix it <laughs> um, so you're not sure there, but yeah and then you break it down, okay, they, they're going out less that's probably because they have less money it's also, I would say, the erosion of public space that young people can congregate in it's very hard mm, to be young these days and have somewhere to go more. without
0: oh. being labelled as obnoxious teenagers yeah. who yeah. should be off the streets. this is the ironic <laughs> yeah, thing it's, it's like, you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't
1: like in Australia, you even have um, air areas where if youths of more than three people congregate they can be considered yeah. a public nuisance yeah. god knows what it's like in some parts of america that are a bit more conservative
0: so you just talked about some of the yardsticks, some of the measures of uh, what this writer thinks is um they should be doing instead but let's actually talk a little bit about maybe some of the positives or some of the things that have changed the other way um so traditionally you and i are both old enough to remember and you grew up in a smaller town i grew up in the suburbs of a larger town they could be equated to be similar ish but we probably both had experiences at school and at high school and even lower years of university when you know you were forced to kind of hang out with people who you sort of got on with because there was no other choice you shared some interests, etc etc and then as the internet slowly emerged you could find these people who were just like you it opened up this world of realizing you weren't alone before going to university where you tended to meet more people like you Mm. and you were also mature enough that you just didn't have such bullshit kind of bullying, you could find all these people who you could connect with. And I would say that that was a positive of the internet, but possibly it's gone almost too far. But I think the difference now is you have that plus this constant measurement, this constant numbers, this constant monitoring of am I better than them? I did this video and it got... Two clicks, five Mm. clicks, ten likes, Mm. whatever. did this other one and it didn't. And this constant kind of measuring yourself. So
1: comparisons, do you mean?
0: Measuring yourself. Mm. But comparisons, yeah. And even I, you feel it yourself as an adult as well. So God knows what it's like for children when this is so important. You just have to watch any kind of American teen film to have this constant kind of structuring of your your teen society and it's even Mm. worse now and this is what leads to depression and and this you know you're you're very connected through a screen to a global maybe community but your immediate sort of uh world is very small
1: Mm. and very true
0: I mean, even as adults, we find ourselves susceptible to it. So as a child, when this stuff is so much more important, you, it's hard to re- think back to how you used to feel in, those, in that time. But you know that everything seemed incredibly important. when it really wasn't, but that's how you felt. Uh, and I think it exacerbates it and it focuses it. And this constant measuring doesn't help. You know, we would connect with communities who we agreed with when we were younger on the internet, but you didn't have this constant measurement. Around it. Like, we kept live journals, but we didn't really care how many people read them at the time so much.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the sadder parts of it was actually the comment that, um, People who had kind of, you know, were already communicating on social media, when they'd meet in person, it was even worse because they'd take photographs and, you know, share that they'd met mm. in person or mm. were you know, hanging out or whatever, and then that meant that other people felt even more excluded. <laughs> so it's kind of like you can't win, you know. They're, they're your friends online, but maybe not in person. But then in person, that you know, becomes this kind of juxtaposition. So it's quite sad. I mean, yeah. you know, it's. And it's very easy for people like social kind of policy kind of people or people into, you know, youth counselling or welfare or whatever to throw their hands up and say, Oh well just get off the internet, go and play, go and go and do something. But I think those things go and do something that's not involved in tech. I think those things can be a little bit um, flippant in understanding the reality of people's emotional well being.
0: Yeah. Like I, I highly recommend you go and read this article, yeah. whatever your age, whatever your background. Definitely. Um, it's very American, but yeah, lines that jump out of me are things like, um, uh, even driving, which I mean, Kate and I neither, neither of us drive I mean, it's a very American <laughs> yeah. thing, even driving a symbol of adolescent freedom, inscribed in American popular culture from Rebel Without a Cause to Ferris Bueller's Day Off has lost its appeal. Um, yeah, and I think American cities are very different, especially from European cities, like we yeah. live in a A medium-sized European city, and you don't need to drive.
1: I think people Uh, were taught driving at school in America at one point. I don't know if that's still the case, because that's Mm. something you don't get in Australia. You have to pay yourself.
0: (laughs) But anyway, it's a fascinating article. I really recommend you read it. We'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Very interesting. Especially any Americans who are actually out there, because it's whilst some of it is very broad and very global, Mm. some of it is very American, too. And some of it, I'd say, so what? Teenagers are drinking less. That's not a bad thing, mm. but are, are they are they um, better in other ways? I'm not sure. Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Let's move on. Let's go to the complete other end of the spectrum, and we're actually going to talk about older people now. <laughs> yeah, and, and and this this skirts around the edges of one of the elephants in the room of the tech news from the past fortnight. Mm. That of diversity and a particular. <laughs> search company <laughs> in a particular person. what do you
1: mean? But we, yes, um,
0: Ask Jeeves had a real problem. No. Um, mm. We won't really go into any tremendous detail about that. No. But we're going to talk about, um, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm a, a white male. I can't really talk about some aspects of diversity, but there are other, to me, diversity is all sorts of things. And mm. one in particular that we're going to talk about here is age, um, which you know, diversity covers many facets and some are better or worse represented than others, but we're going to talk about age.
1: And I might add, it's something we've covered in the past because it's something we feel yes. quite strongly about um, as people <laughs> that, you know, I entered a career in, if you can call it that, in tech in my 40s. Um, and like people, the average person in a tech company these days is in their 20s. Um, despite that, the average age of an American, and I think Australian's pretty similar, is 42, so my mm. age. So, you know, it is, I believe it is going... Kate,
0: you've just publicly admitted your age.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that's one thing you do get told. I I have been told this by a number of people. Don't tell people your age in tech. Mm -hmm. You'll be treated poorly or disparaged or ignored because your age makes you obsolete. Maybe. So let's let's,
0: let's quickly skip through this article because we're already running a little later, longer than we we expected. We are. We
1: have too many opinions. So this is an
0: article on (laughs) on Wired. Um, Yes. The person actually was is at Google, strangely, uh, or has been at Google. I can't quite remember. Yeah, but it's a good piece. talk about their experience. Um, so let's just jump in. And this person is actually in their 60s. Uh, let's jump into a few things. Um, so they talk about socializing um, and how a lot of socializing uh, activities at a lot of tech companies can be very physical or often late night or involve kind of high consumption
1: you have an Uh, example of this don't you from a company you're working with
0: yeah but this was so this was an austrian company whose main office was or head office was actually in the mountains it was very much part of their culture it wasn't necessarily it was just part of their lifestyle Mm. and actually as the company grew and their main office became more and more here in berlin they changed where they they went for work trips but yeah i had some horrific <laughs> times when they were like we went bouldering and like chris just jump off it's like i grew up in fucking london <laughs> i'm not jumping off cliffs that's not something i, I do know. but to them it was very natural my worst nightmare to me a city liver was like i don't want to do that that's not yeah. fun and just feeling really really awkward because <laughs> anyway yeah um so some things like that career development of course um just because you're over a certain age doesn't mean you don't want to continue. I, mm. Actually, on a side note, I read an article recently about uh, a problem with American politics, of there being so many senators over the age of 70. Yeah. So just saying there are certain, certainly certain industries where you can be old and you oh. keep going.
1: Very much. Um,
0: apparently, all the three frontrunners for the next kind of a uh, presidential candidate for the Democrats are all over 70. Wow including Sanders they're all over yeah, 70 that's interesting um, you can get involved a lot in mentoring of course yeah it's a very good uh, one thing that is often overlooked in terms of experience with older people is just that experience of a diversity you've got a more diverse set of opinions because you've been around longer whether that be from how things used to be done and, and et cetera, et cetera, or mm. just multiple life experiences that have taught you lessons. Mm. But also just um, I've done some work with a company writing um, some articles for their blog, and they have a lot of engineers involved who've been around for a long time. And hearing their stories of startups they worked with in the 90s and stuff like that mm. and how things used to be is often a very valuable lesson for younger people younger people have this uh, generally do the same thing ourselves of oh who cares I don't want to hear about how it used to be mm. but sometimes realising how things used to be can teach you a lot about how things are now but I think yeah. the,
1: also the, the big thing that those workers can, can bring or any of us can bring um, or should bring to a role is our resiliency mm, we can mm, demonstrate mm. to people that maybe at the, the beginning of their career that you know it is possible to have things go wrong spectacularly wrong at times mm. and you do come out the other end, and yep. this is not something that gets shared that much unless it's a celebrated failure that someone talks about publicly in a you know a TEDx talk or something. Yeah. So here is
0: some other interesting aspects that the, excuse me the the writer mentions as well. Mm. Things like phased retirement. I would especially say um, I'm going to generalise broadly here, but I'd especially say men have a tendency once they have retired to get really down and feeling like they have no purpose Uh, and especially now as like 65 is this kind of number we've plucked out of thin air and as you get as we age we sort of age later now and we die later mostly uh, retiring at 65 like you still got probably 10 years left in
1: you (laughs) you're bored
0: like you're bored (laughs) so this phased retirement I find really interesting yeah and you can then you could also then pair in with the mentoring of an intern, for example, you're working less. They're only entering the workforce and you can kind of job share together, maybe. They, they also talk about benefits and perks. So whilst younger people will want, I mean, this is not particularly widespread, but egg freezing and IVF programs. What? Um, yeah. Um, they're saying for the opposite end of the spectrum. Things like, uh, they label it very American way, elder care. Uh, yeah. Caring for partners who have developed various conditions that you might need to um, Degenerative pay. Yeah, conditions. exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. And the
1: other thing I'd say, and this is also one of those elephants in the room that people shuffle about uncomfortably, is that in almost every country, and there may be some exceptions, people are having to work longer for financial reasons.
0: Doesn't mean they can. Um, There's an option for them. It's, but, yeah. you know,
1: that they are in a situation where being a- able to access a pension plan or a benefit of some sort mm. upon retirement or retrenchment. In some countries, they're not there. All the amounts are mm. so pitiful unless you own a home, which, mm. again, that's something that's changing as well. Um, it can be very hard to support yourself. And
0: even your parents who went through the very traditional kind of route, mm. they had their super plans slashed by the 2008 a financial crisis, yeah. so even people who were intending yeah, to true. follow the traditional path may not have be able to do it for as long as they hoped.
1: Yeah, I remember reading something recently about baby boomers, so people that are perhaps in the 70, their 60s and 70s now, still p- paying off their college loans. Really? <laughs> yeah. America,
0: yeah, and my dad has seen his property value slashed for various reasons, some of them his fault, but not all baby boomers are as lucky as we sometimes think. Anyway, Let's wrap up the very uh, four very interesting things we discussed there. And please, and we'll add some links in the show notes to our public Slack channel or to Twitter or to comment threads where you can add your thoughts and opinions. But let's wrap up with what we've been up to and what we are up to over the next few weeks. Kate, if you want to kick off with some things that you've had published over the past few weeks and what you're working on that's going to get published very soon.
1: Um, well, yeah, I've been mostly writing a lot about security in the last... Um a couple of weeks working on some articles there. I've also got some articles coming up to do with our smart cities and looking a bit critically at the idea of the smart city and um, who it benefits and who gets um, left on the wayside, particularly to do with socioeconomic status. That will be a very interesting article. I'm also super looking forward to this week. I think it's tomorrow in my calendar. I've got an interview with someone who um, was a chef making pizzas in a, um, a food van, and then decided he wanted to make a robot dedicated to Nicolas Cage. <laughs> and as a response... He, I don't um, even know
0: where to start. <laughs> he
1: got got in with the Node.js community, which, um, you know, one of the many... Weird had wonderful tech communities out there for people interested in, um, mm-hmm. in coding. Learned to code from scratch as an absolute beginner without, you know, a degree or what have you. Um, but did make his creation. Um, I'll be looking forward to seeing that. Getting a, a little demo, and um, now runs the local chapter of MoJS in his area. Hmm. So I'm so really looking forward to talking to him because I think um, I, I always really enjoy talking to people who do, like myself, do meet tech in a, 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 a less conventional way hmm. than perhaps going from from you know schooling to to a job.
0: And, um, I mean, we actually did a bunch of interviews and articles before we kind of went on holiday. Yeah. Our website is a little bit behind because yeah. um, we're having a slight uh, build error right now that I need <laughs> to fix. But I can tell you that in the next... We have a bunch of articles. I've written some things on Heroku for a company called Coralogix, which was very interesting because I actually got them a lot of customers, which is good. Fantastic. Uh, I interviewed one of the product managers from NGINX, which is interesting. I actually wrote an article on Podcasting 101 for Mac users, for Cult of Mac. And then before we went on a holiday... Kate and I interviewed uh, the founder of meetup.com, mm, which was interesting. very interesting. We also interviewed Liviu Babbitt. These have all popped up on the podcast feed. Mm. If you didn't know, you can go back and find them. Yeah. Who claims to be one of the first cyborgs. Oh, yes. And I interviewed uh, Yael Eisenstadt, who was an ex-CIA operative who is very much now into the impact of tech on our society. And Kate, I can also see you've had a few articles on drones in retail. Uh, picking an IoT platform mm-hmm. um, and possibly some other things yeah. and coming up in the near future if you want to meet us uh, I will be at Write the Docks in Prague we will both be at Startup Night here in Berlin mm-hmm. and then we will both be in various capacities at uh, Voxt Belgrade going back to mm. Belgrade a city I love um, so you can meet us there too.
1: And if you're, you know, doing some planning for later in the year, we will be at Web Summit in um, yes. Lisbon in yes. November. Yes. So,
0: actually, um, I will also be at IT Arena in the Ukraine. I can't remember the exact name of the city or the date, but look that up.
1: Yeah, I know I've got a few other um, IoT conferences here in Berlin, For you know, Enterprise One. So if you, um, you know, if you're in the industrial space or yeah. you wear a suit or whatever and you um, what are you kind do? of
0: suit
1: yeah it's that kind of um I say that because it's that kind of audience yeah. you know I stick out a little bit
0: so we're <laughs> going to have to wrap up the show because we're actually about to jump into our office hours here yes. at the factory in Berlin we'll be going to help tech startups who want to uh, explain themselves better mm. Uh and bear that in mind if you're in Berlin but we're also happy to do those um, remotely with people if you're interested of course um firstly Kate tell people how they can get in touch with you
1: yeah look you can um we we have our contact details on our website you actually um,
0: have a new shiny web we you do tell people we have find um, your contact details
1: kate exactly so Um if you google it i'm sure you'll you'll find probably not there. yet but, but yeah, yeah not yet because uh-huh. i haven't done much
0: it <laughs> and likewise you can find all my contact details on chrischinchilla.com yeah. uh, and if you're specifically interested in the podcast you can go to gregarismammal.com slash podcast to find previous episodes same url slash support if you want to donate some money buy some merchandise and actually we're going to have a uh, new chinchilla and cat stickers uh, case logo, available very soon and so if you be- want a sticker Let us know and we'll send you... We're going to have 5mm and 7.5mm stickers you can use with our... Various icons,
1: and for something a bit different, next time we um, we shoot the um, the podcast at home as opposed to in our co working space, we will be having a visitor there who will be um, sleeping through the podcast. Oh, we well, actually will have a visitor. We will be like the um, we'll do a little feed of her yeah. um, her particip- participation. So if you're sitting at work and you want to just watch yep. something on the screen, you get to see a cat sleeping. And probably
0: actually <laughs> our next episode we will have a live interview. And if you have any questions specifically for that person. Mm. Please send them in. We will be talking with uh, Ben Maddox of the uh, Perfect Information Podcast, who is very entertaining, Ah. a British guy who's also an actor, so he's very entertaining, about tech in board games. So uh, a subject that's of interest to me, and he will be very entertaining. Lastly,
1: I'd say too, if you um, have a product or just an opinion that you want to share with us on the on the, um, the podcast, please feel free to get in touch. We're pretty accessible, and we're, we're always keen to have a chat.
0: Links in the show notes. Let's wrap this baby up yes. and send it down the shops <laughs> for a packet of cigarettes, because kids need to smoke more, goddammit. <laughs> <So>, oh, <well.
1: laughs>